Welcome to Building Sustainability, the podcast that brings you interviews with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. I'm your host, Geoffrey Hart. Hello, welcome back. I hope that wherever you are, you are healthy and surviving the, uh, the funny times. This week's episode is with Becky Little of Rebirth. Becky describes herself as a mud mason. The info on her website says, Rebirth is a Scottish company founded by mud mason Becky Little. We specialise in building, art and education using raw earth and natural materials. We have 25 years of experience in earth building techniques, including mud wall, which is cob, wattle and daub, light clay and hemp, turf building, soft capping, clay plasters, earth sculpture and decoration. By learning from the past and working with nature, we celebrate and develop the skills and traditions of earth building. The middle section of that possibly was a list of terms that you maybe weren't familiar with. Um, So we're going to delve into all of those in this episode. Becky was really great to talk with. She was actually the first recording that I did uh, from lockdown. Um, And as such, my audio quality isn't that great. But that's probably okay, because she does most of the talking, and I think she's the one you're really interested in listening to. Um, So what happens in this episode? We talk about what is a mud mason, and we talk about Becky's training. Um, how she journeyed into the world of earth building Um, and that came from a a beginning in lime and then well I'll let her tell you that bit. In this episode Becky makes lots of references to organisations and people and I have endeavoured to put links to all of them in the show notes so if you do want to find out more make sure you do that. If this is your first time listening to Building Sustainability Podcast then Please do take a moment to subscribe and delve back into some of the previous episodes. Um, I think that's about it from me. See you at the end. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online, and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more 
and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, so <clears throat> a mud mason is an, an old term that certainly was used in Scotland, which is where most of my building experiences has come from. For anyone that, that creates buildings with mud, which is a sticky clay subsoil. And in Scotland, that means mud mortars, okay. mud walls, which is our equivalent of cob. Um, we have a thing called steak and rice, which is the same as wattland daub. Okay. So there's all these local terms, but basically it's making sticky mud and using it in a building in some way or other. And in the old days, uh, the mud mason was the expert in that area. Right. Okay. In the old days, what about now? Um, yes. Well, the, all of these amazing traditions are brilliant for modern building too. You know, you can use them in... Mm in ecological ways. I mean, the earth is the ultimate green material. Um, infinitely, yes. we, you know, recycle it forever. I don't know anything else that, mm -hmm. that you can do that with. Um, it can be used to keep you warm or to keep you cool, depending on how you mix it. Um, it's not toxic. It's safe. It's accessible. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant building material, low carbon, all these benefits. Mm -hmm. And I, what I really enjoy is that it can be so uh, so versatile. Mm -hmm. You can build your walls. You can, you know, it's a plaster, it's a mortar. It, yeah. it really is. Uh, yeah. You don't really need too much else. That's right. Yeah. I mean, really, I just think earth and fibre are the two things that just like they're a marriage made in heaven. And if you have those two things, like you say, you've got so many possibilities. And in Scotland, of course, we've got turf buildings as well. So that's another way where, Fibre is naturally in in the of building course, material, yeah. and we just dig it up from the ground. So and that's that's turf, um, as in you yeah. know, your your top layer of, of grass, sort of cut into, cut into yeah, sheets. that's right. And it was incredibly common in the in way back in you know, um, from from really from prehistory till till a, a hundred years ago, turf was a common building material in parts of Scotland. Um, so then, how did you? How did you begin on this, this mud? Where did journey? it begin? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I mean, I, I so I'm I'm from Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> quite quite proud to be from Yorkshire, actually, as most people are. Um, but when I was growing up, I had no idea that I would end up doing building work. In fact, I my parents were wonderful people; were not practical at all, <laughs> not in the slightest. Um, but I like to be outside. So uh, I come from a part of the north of Sheffield with the Peak District. So I would sort of roam the moors and just love being out there, out in the in the wild. And then I went, I did the usual thing. I did art college, I did university and all of that. But I just like working with my hands and, and the outdoors. And so as soon as I could, mm -hmm. I got involved in conservation work, sort of volunteering and you know, just going out for holidays where I would build walls and fix fences and all sorts of stuff. And um, and then I just read oh, and the other the other bit to the story is I knew I wanted to go to Scotland because my right. granddad's brother was Scottish and we would spend every summer up there on the farm. 
near Dumfries, actually. And so I had this sort of calling uh-huh. to, to go north uh, into those sort of places. So as soon as I finished studying, I just headed north and um, and started to work with a very old friend, Tim Meek. I don't know if you've come across Tim. He's an incredible, uh, mainly lime builder, but also does lots of other of a traditional craft skills. Is he a, a spab fellow? He's an ex-spab fellow, that's right. Or oh, you're always a spab fellow once you're a fellow, aren't you? Yes. But yes, yeah, so I trained with Tim uh, back in, in the ni- early 90s. And he taught me loads of amazing things about lime, mainly. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where it all began. Is that I just, it, I, in fact, he was at university with me. I met him there, and we got friendly. And, and the next thing I knew, I was sort of labouring for him on a building site. Uh-huh. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he was my mentor. Yeah. And um, and then that it, I was lucky to get a sponsorship from Historic Scotland. Mm-hmm to work with him and others to learn craft skills. So it's sort of an internship in craft. And I was a bit of a guinea pig for, for that program because it was a new thing at the time. And you weren't, you weren't swayed by lime. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was actually (laughs) for many years. We were just, we were mainly lime contractors actually doing rendering and pointing and fixing masonry on on lime and stone buildings yeah that was my main work for for you know 20 years or so but the earth was always there maybe in not in the background but as a small part of what I did and I loved it so much and that was what really spoke to me um or vernacular buildings small hovels (laughs) you know small small buildings built by ordinary people yes ordinary people of their local materials and, and exactly style. yeah yeah and and the bit that I think totally grabbed me was when I first I saw my first Scottish earth building in about 94 or something like that and it was covered in handprints and finger marks and somebody had put a date in the chimney with their finger and that's something just well you know it's like a light bulb moment of oh this is amazing. This is a material I want yeah. to, to get to know. And I've been kind of, yeah, learning ever since. It sounds like your, uh, your training was, was actually quite a, well, like maybe a traditional apprenticeship, uh, sort of going back to when apprenticeships were sort of long and, and the way to, to learn a trade. Yeah. Yeah. Does that, does that sound about right? I would agree with that. Yeah. Many hours doing the same thing over and over again. So you could do it in your sleep. Yeah. You're like I can point a building in my sleep for sure. <laughs> but the great thing, well, I was just, I'd remembered you'd, I'd sort of gone back in time for a minute there. And I was, I remember we made mortars. At, our first big lime job was Brodie Castle. And we made mortars like medieval people. So we would slake lime into these massive wooden boxes and we would lay it down for a year. Uh-huh. And and that, you know, that, that sort of, I don't think anyone would do that now particularly, but that learning in the early 90s with Lyme was really exciting because mm. we didn't have any ready-made products. There was no bags of Lyme you could go and buy. Yeah. So we made mortars from, from basics for that first few jobs. Yeah, I guess it's changed quite a lot because there are, there are builders merchants full of mm. many different Lyme products now. 
Yeah, that's right. I've really seen the change. You know, I feel like an old person when I say that, but I have seen a big change with the lime industry. It's not, it's not exactly normal, but it's it's common, and lots of builders are using lime in various forms. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great. Um, so, the how did the the transition to? Well, would you, if you're a mud mason now, would you say that you have mm-hmm. sort of transitioned to to earth over lime? Yeah. And how, how did that sort of yeah. uh, happen? What was the... So um, just towards the end of that, so it was a two-year internship, and towards the end of that I was approached by um, Bruce Walker, who is an old um, expert of earth in mm. historic Scotland, and Chris McGregor. They were, they were amazing, and they took me under their wing and they said, right, we have, some, we have one earth building in particular that we need to repair. Uh-huh. which was in Perthshire, a little place called Cottown. And there's nobody in Scotland knows how to do it. Um, and would you be interested in learning how to do it? So I was like, yeah, <laughs> I would. <laughs> so um, so I just, yeah, I leapt at it. It was just like, you know, total chance opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then I went on a bit of a a quest to learn from others. So that took me to meet Kevin McCabe okay. in Devon, yep. who is another incredible mentor al- along the way. And he was, yeah, he's really the UK's leading light in co- in the Cobb revival. Mm-hmm. And I also went to Denmark uh, to the Open Air Museum and, and learned from, they had mud masons, actually. That was my first meeting with actual mud masons was uh-huh. in Denmark because they called themselves that. Right. Um, and and other places too, Germany, France. So I learned as much as I could over a short period of time. And then I came back to Scotland a few months later and really just got stuck into doing this repair of this old mud building. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which was, was great experience. Learning as we go, working with volunteers. Uh-huh. This was for the. Uh, it was owned by the National Trust for Scotland. Actually, that's the other connection. Okay. Nice. And, and that's where it all began. And 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 really, one building and one job led to another from then on. Yeah. And I and I set up in my own business quite soon after. Right. Fantastic. Mm. Right, that's. It's interesting that you said Denmark still had mud masons. Um, I'm intrigued. And what what was different over there? Why why over there, but not over here? I think it was because they had, there was, I don't know, I'm not really sure how the thread of of that, that tradition kept going through the, you know, because in here there's an absolute break about 100 years ago is that earth mm. stopped being used. I'm not sure if, this, if the thread carries on, but certainly there was a, a, a lot of work for them to do in the Open Air Museum. It's, it's a big place with a lot of earth in it. Yeah. And so they'd really developed their expertise on just looking after and recreating those those earth buildings in that mm. on that site. Um, and they'd also made this incredible mixer with based on an old horse-driven pug mill. Okay. Um, you know the kind of thing where it's a big round barrel with a central um, shaft with teeth that go round and round, uh-huh. and they'd made a, me- a mechanized version of that. And I. I copied that when I got back to Scotland and made one here as well, right. just by getting an agricultural engineer to make one up, which was fabulous for a few 
for about 10 years. It was an amazing workhorse. But so it was things like that. It was it was somehow they were very strongly connected to their traditions with mm. mud. So do you think the the loss of knowledge in the, the world wars was a, a contributing factor to how, how we've lost the knowledge, but maybe uh, Denmark managed to, to keep, keep that thread? I don't know enough about Danish. Yeah, I don't know enough about Danish history, to be honest, to know what why things carried on there in in scotland which is the bit i know the best mm-hmm. the earth building tradition was lost before way before that i oh, think really? um the buildings that i work on tend to be early 19th century or late 18th century and really mm-hmm. there's not much after that at all and there was a, a great sort of to do with the industrial and agricultural revolutions, lots of improvements. Well, improvements sure. in inverted yeah. commas, <laughs> where um, earth buildings were just knocked down and replaced with stone and brick because it was seen as modern and better. Mm-hmm. And it became fashionable not to be in earth. You were seen as poor and lowly if you were if you were in an earth building. And lots of writers, historic uh, historical writers, say oh, the peasants were living in terrible mud buildings. And it's all very negative, the history mm-hmm. around Earth. But I think it's a very particular view uh, from well, rather wealthy travelling people. It's, you know, I don't think it's that um, true to how, how those lives were lived. Sure, yeah. Because if uh, you, we know from living in an Earth building, they can be incredibly comfortable, dry, cosy things to live in. So, yes. but, but fashion's changed. For one reason or another. Yes, with the, the coming of new technologies and fashions. Yes. I mean, it's, it's still happening yeah. today, isn't it? With, with uh, cement, uh, you know, primarily cement. I've got a friend in South Africa who's, uh, they're trying to build a, a family home. And she wants to build mm-hmm. a, uh, an earth building uh, you know, of the local material. And the whole of their yeah. family is dead against it at the moment. Wouldn't be seen dead in an earth mm. you know, it's the peasant yeah. technology. Yeah. Um, so they want to build a big concrete box. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the same here, really, isn't it? I mean, I've been saying for twenty five years now that Earth is the future, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's slow progress. Yes. But with the climate, you know, with the climate crisis and extinction rebellion and all those big movements that are really starting to get going, Earth has got a huge place, especially when it comes to reducing our use of cement, which mm. is such a massive problem for carbon emissions. Yes. So. Yeah, it's uh, well. Earth has got, especially if you're you're digging it on site, the the embodied energy mm-hmm. is is so minimal. It's uh, it's truly a yeah. wonder material. I often sort of uh, laugh that you know we've spent all this time trying to come up with these perfect building materials, and actually, you know, it <laughs> would be walking over the top of it the whole time. It's just there already, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, the properties of mud. We sort of touched a little bit mm-hmm. on it in the beginning, but. Um, what are what yeah. are some of the main sort of magic properties that this this very basic material has? Oh, so from a basically, it's it, one of its amazing. So it's accessible; you can dig it anywhere, well, mm-hmm. wherever sticky clay soil exists. But um, for me, it's that thing of taking a material, adding a bit of water, usually 
making it soft and then shaping it in, in however you like, really. You know, you can do curves or straight lines. You can put it in boxes. You can use it in surfaces. You can make it dense and heavy or light. So mm. it can either be thermal mass or thermal insulation. So like we were saying, it's it's so flexible. Yeah. Um, and, and incredibly responsive, expressive. You know, it can be a really beautiful artistic material. It comes in all, so many colors and um, you can mix it with different sands and fibers. So the, it, there's these endless creative possibilities, mm-hmm. um, which is so exciting. And the, and the thing I learned working on old buildings, I've learned, I've learned everything working on old buildings in some ways, but it, we, we realized very early on that when we needed to repair something, we could take the old mud. And I use the term mud, it's ubiquitous. It just means a clay, working with a clay soil of some sort or other. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a general term, but we could take the old mud and we could put it in a bath, put some water with it, and reshape it either as bricks or as as walls or as mortars. You can just make it back again. So anything you build with earth, you can continually reuse it, you know, pretty much forever if you've got a roof on it. The only time earth becomes unusable is, is if it's so damaged that things grow into it. But even then, it's compost, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's just soil. It's safe. There's nothing bad in it. Um, so at the end of a building's life, it's it just degrades back into the ground. Yes. So in terms of cradle to cradle materials, cob is or earth mud is is a you know a prime example. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the best one I know. I mean, I guess stone is similar. Yeah. Stone doesn't change, does it? But um, and even if it's got organic material in it, that doesn't matter either because usually the organic that you put in earth mixes improves over time. So you, you know, like fermenting mixes and that mm-hmm. kind of thing, it, it, a bit of rot can be a good thing in a plaster as long as it has chance to dry out, you know. Definitely. We, we did, uh, say the last earth floor we did, we, uh, we fermented a whole load, mm-hmm. a couple of bins worth of straw. And uh, yeah, yeah the, uh, it creates such a reaction from people. Uh, yeah, like what are you, what are you doing? It's a bit smelly. Yeah, and then especially laying an earth floor when your your face is sort of right hung over the top of it. Like. Oh yeah, that's. <laughs> and the, the clients were. Uh... Yeah, it can smell terrible. <laughs> yeah, um, I was fortunate to do a, a few workshops with Japanese plasters, and and they were rotting their plasters for a year. Really, before they used them, and my goodness, they smelled bad like nasty yeah but once they're on the wall beautiful to spread beautiful finishes and and once they're dry all that smell disappears Mm -hmm. um so yeah yes but it's it's a way of adding binder and glue to the mix isn't it to to let things rot down a bit yeah it's interesting the sort of parallel with uh food in that people are finding the the health benefits of fermenting and we're, we're sort of seemingly right. refinding the, the help the, the building benefits of fermenting. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, the, the slow building. 
the slow smelly building movement. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the marketing department uh, will enjoy that. I think we have to do a bit of work on that one. <laughs> um, so you've said uh, a couple of things which uh, maybe some of our listeners might not uh, fully understand. You mentioned thermal mass. Uh, yes. Would you be able to describe what, what that is and how it, how it acts? I'll do my best. <laughs> So uh, thermal mass is uh, when you have a, a dense material that you can store heat in. Okay. So it's very good at, at creating a, a lag in a, a building with heat. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. Putting uh, cob mixers round stoves mm-hmm. or behind glazing where sun can hit it, it's like creating a radiator. Okay. And in fact, we have radiators made of mud in the house here where we've put heating pipes inside mud mixers. So it's a heat store. But one thing I learned early on was lots of people say, oh, mud buildings, warm in the winter, cool in the summer. And and it's not quite as simple as Mm -hmm. that. Um, Ideally... To, get a, to, to have a nice warm earth building, you want those dense materials inside the building, yeah. like as I say, near heat. And then on the outside wall, in, certainly in Scotland, you want something lighter that insulates, like a woolly jumper or a, here it's we in this house, we have clay hemp, uh-huh. which is the clay version of hempcrete that probably people have heard of. Yes. Um, because it's got lots of, of, of poor, it's very porous, very open and light, mm-hmm. and it stores heat. So those two things together are really important to have a very comfortable internal environment. Yes, because the the old traditional houses, certainly sort of cob houses, uh, I'm thinking of the ones in the southwest, mm. just big, thick yeah. uh, uh, mass walls. Mm. Huge. And so how do yeah. they perform in the, the winter? Well, this is this is the this is a whole interesting thing because if you talk about looking at these materials in a lab situation, mm-hmm. theoretically they don't perform so well, in, you know, compared to other materials. But in practice, and and in very thickly built walls, these buildings are incredibly warm and comfortable. And there's a lot of research happening right now, actually, into the thermal thermal efficiency of cob. Uh-huh in a project called Coboge, which I should probably mention, people might be interested to follow that up. It's a um, a collaboration between uh, the southwest of England, the Cob tradition there with the Boge tradition in, in North France. Mm. And they're investigating how earth buildings work thermally. Uh-huh. And often they the, therm, the old buildings perform much better than they should. Right. Uh, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, we're, as a sort of... Um modern building we're obsessed with u values and insulation and mm. uh and it's it's confusing to add add a mass material into that or certainly a solid mass material into that uh because you you can quite often get the same results or similar results but without actually any any insulation um so how is yeah, how is yeah. that uh how does that affect sort of building a new house that you have to build to regulations? Oh, well, I I sidestep those really technical issues beautifully because I live with an architect who can, right. who, you know, <laughs> can, can make all the right arguments at the right time with the relevant officials. But as a builder, uh-huh. um, I 
I know from practice that these these materials are incredibly efficient if you use them in the right places. So my my house here is, I was saying it's got the light hemp as the outside wall, and then it's got sort of cob and daubs internally as internal walls or with heating. And actually, we rarely need heating even in the winter because our own body heat makes incredibly, you know, it makes quite a massive difference. So we, we're really efficient with these fantastic yeah these walls yeah sorry i'm not i'm not the person to go into those technical debates like i i know it from how it feels no that's great i think that's <laughs> that's a, an utterly valid uh, place to you know a knowledge to have uh mm-hmm. one that's i think probably overlooked quite a lot in, uh, in sort of modern construction yeah um so hang on i've got a few little prompts in my, uh, in my written down. Yeah, I have uh, to say eBucky at some point. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's a big, big circle with eBucky in it. And I haven't even said rebirth, but that's fine. You can. We'll we get can to that. that. Yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I'll put a load of uh, links on the website as well, which will. Uh... We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, cool. That's fine. I'm not, I didn't, I, you know, I did actually look at my CV, interestingly, because I thought, what what the hell have I been doing? <laughs> and I pulled out an old CV and I was like, oh, my God. I'd, You know, there was all these things I'd forgotten about. Like, just to remind myself of. Well, just that I'd spoken at some ecological conference in California. I'd completely forgotten about that. And, right. you know, a lot of, a lot of travel, actually. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's really... It's really helpful looking back sometimes and going, wow, yeah, I have. Because I'm the sort of, I've got that imposter syndrome that a lot of people have where you think you're, you're a bit of a fraud. Uh-huh. Like I, I, I lack confidence in some ways, even though mm-hmm. I've got a lot of experience. I sort of slightly doubt myself. And even though I'm getting on a bit, I still sometimes feel a bit intimidated by experts, other experts. Uh-huh. But when I looked back at what I've done over the last 25, 30 years, I was like, oh, wow, I have done quite a lot. <laughs> and actually, when I'm, when I'm thinking on my feet and I have materials in my hands, I'm quite, like it's, I'm quite intuitive and there's a lot of muscle memory in there. And I, I, don't, I rarely measure things when I'm mm-hmm. working on my own because I just kind of do it like cooking i sort of know that if a mix needs a bit more of something i just chuck it in yeah because i kind of know it it's it's in there you know your materials Um, uh rather than you know a recipe yeah and i know it's a bit fanciful but i think there's this thing of tapping into something very ancient that's sort of buried deep inside us and i know that when i work with well, pretty much anyone when they come when they get comfortable with working with earth, they go into some sort of Zen place, especially when they're daubing, mm. as if they've already done it before. Do you know what I mean? And then they haven't, but it, I just have a feeling it's like an ancient thing that just rises up. 
Uh-huh. Maybe. <laughs> so ingrained in our uh, in being human. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's very instinctive. So you mentioned uh Cobb uh sorry, California uh then. And uh, yeah. interestingly, so my my journey into into Cobb actually began in in Oregon. Uh Oregon, yeah. And I was out there um well, there was a a, uh, a place called Aprovecho, which was set up by Yanti yeah. Evans, and he's I've heard so, about this. Yeah. yeah, he was he was uh, sort of quite famous, definitely, and he's um, heralded. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, uh, you know, praised with uh, sort of bringing Cobb uh, to to California and to, to Oregon. Uh, and it was very interesting to go there and see that, and uh, and then kind of twig that actually, you know, my my country's full of cob, and uh, and it's actually a heritage, <laughs> and they were using it as this sort of brand new uh, idea. Mm. Um, so, did you get to to see much of the the cob out in California? A little bit, yeah. And I am really aware of that tradition, and it's fascinating the way traditions travel and change and evolve mm. um we had this whole thing when when turf tradition traveled in uh, to do with the emigration of people in the 19th century and the clearances mm. and all of that and lots of irish and scottish and welsh builders and um, ended well not builders agricultural people ended up in america and and then you get these turf buildings happening in nebraska Right. With these proud emigrants standing in front of them with their skills on show, uh-huh. and I think it's similar with Cobb. It's it's a more recent movement, but as traditions travel, they they change actually and become mm. a bit different, and that's that's fine. You know, that's progress in the you know it's it's evolution. But um, I'm fascinated by the whole Oregon thing because when I first started doing Cobb, those were the books that I looked at because they were the that that was the resource that was was out there in how to build with cob was coming from there was Becky B, I mm-hmm. think she's Oregon maybe, oh. and um, and Nianto was another one and lots of those books that I read and just sort of swallowed whole and and but interestingly, a lot of those books talk about mixes that are uh, gauged with sand and. It's quite a different way of working from the traditions in Scotland. And I didn't know that at the time. And it's kind of taken me 20, 25 years to really see it, for see the diversity. Uh-huh. And and all these approaches are good and they work. But um, the, the traditions in, in the UK and especially in Scotland are um, you build with your feet more. You stand on the material on the walls and uh-huh. you shape with your feet and and with a a big garden fork. And so the materials have to be very solid for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the experience I had of the more sort of Oregon cob style was more hand-built. Mm-hmm. And as I say, much more sand, sandy mixes. Um, we, we really don't add sand traditionally in Scotland. The mixes are just soil uh-huh. and fiber. I mean, sand may be in the soil, but it's just naturally occurring. Um, so yeah, quite, quite different. So would you, how would you, um, adjust for a very, very rich clay 
uh, would it be to add more fiber? Loads of fiber. Right. Okay. Yeah, masses of fiber. And it's the same in daubs. Daubs are really, you know, I don't know, 50% soil, 50% fiber. They're packed with straw. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they work across, you know, f- frames or woven willow or whatever it is. Yeah. It's like tensile strength from the from the fiber. Uh-huh. And that was another thing that J- Japanese practice it sort of confirmed is that it's it's an earth fiber thing not an earth sand thing so much ah, that's fascinating because i well i've i've very much carried on yeah. my uh you know, what i learned in uh, in oregon and yeah it's always been in my yeah. mind that it's it's earth sand so that's that's really interesting to, yeah. to hear i mean sometimes with a very rich clay it is good to put a bit of sand in because it helps break it mm. up you know it's sort of it's like as you're grinding and mashing the mix, the sand helps to get into that re- those really strong clay bonds. So, yeah. I, you know, I do quite often put sand in mixers, but I guess my emphasis is usually more on the fibre right. than the sand. Just, well, the other connection I was thinking was the Normandy tradition where I've, I've spent quite a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, there working with one or two people. And, and that's a very much a fibrous, a rich clay fibrous tradition too. Yeah. And interestingly, they, they don't render their walls. They're exposed. Right. So the cob is just So left. they're very confident. Cob is left. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's does fine, yeah. you know, with a little bit of maintenance here and there. I mean, not not as wild as Scotland, but certainly quite a wet part of France. Yeah, certainly. So I wonder if the, the sand mm-hmm. uh, comes about because sort of Oregon cob or... Uh, of that sort of style is a bit more modern. It's a bit more, uh, you know, there's access to, to big maybe sand pits and quarries and, you know, it's a bit more of a, the, the vernacular is, is slightly sort of further afield, if you will. Uh, whereas, you know, yeah. the Normandy in Scotland is, you know, you'd had mud and you'd probably have fibre, you know, so they're the two yeah. things that you use. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't ship in lots, exactly. of, lots of sand because, yeah, it's, no. it's energy. It's hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they weren't building high buildings, and that's another thing. I think maybe sand gives you structural strength mm-hmm. if you want to build three or four stories. Uh-huh. You know, maybe that's that's part of the argument. But certainly in Scotland, you're only looking at two story buildings with with mud, and so it's not and it, and quite thick walls, so it's not really an issue. Yeah. But I think the builders, the earth builders or the agricultural communities that were building with earth knew very well where the good soils were. Mm. And yes, they probably took them from within a mile or two. But um, I know here in Fife where clay is very sort of, it's in a little pockets. It's not great expanses of it. Mm. It's small areas. And I have my local farmer, he has one corner of one field that has clay in it. Right. So if I want to build with earth in my locality, I'm looking at, you know, 10, 20 square meters of soil that I can access. Yeah. So it's that local, the knowledge. And, and you'll know, as when you work with earth, you have to be really flexible to each time somebody digs clay soil, it might look slightly different mm. from the time before. So you have to get very good at testing it and, and changing it slightly as you go. Um. So, yeah, you've got to be flexible, Yes, I think. That's the common question, isn't it? Uh, people will say, you know, what's the mix? What's what's a good cob mix? What's a good <laughs> plaster mix? And it's always, mm. well, it depends. You know, 
Uh, what's what's your clay doing? Yeah. Test it. You know. And it really it's the thing I learned recently is the clays are so different. Mm. I mean, working with clays down in England, like that Buckinghamshire clay that we yep. we used last year. Oh, we did it on the on the Chelsea Flower Show. We did a render, and my goodness, that's a strange clay. Right. It's it's beautiful, but not strong at all. Not strong bonds, mm-hmm. even though the clay proportion may be, you know, 20 percent mm-hmm. of the mix, which is what you kind of expect. If I take that clay and then I compare it to a, this clay I have here in Fife at Cowden Beath, yeah. it's this dark grey clay and it's the strongest clay in the world. It's so tough and the bonds don't break easily. Uh-huh. So even if you get your proportion of clay the same in two different mixes, if the clay is a different source, it could be quite different yes. result. Yeah. Um but but I love that. <laughs> I like that it's always different. You know, it's, that's like the challenge. I, I, and you have to find it first. Usually I, we, we don't have any, apart from the cowden beef sauce, we, hard, we really don't have quarries. It's a case of getting out into the land, talking to farmers, talking to construction people, talking to road builders and looking. Yeah. I mean, every time I drive out the door, I'm like looking for clay soil. <laughs> and if I see it, if I see what I think is clay, I'll just stop the car and sort of go, you know, if, if somebody's digging a hole, I'll be like, oh, do you need that soil? Yeah. <laughs> Can I have some of it? <laughs> and we get some strange old looks. Yeah, it's like a treasure hunt. <laughs> <laughs> so, in, I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a weird hobby, but I do have... Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 got its downside because it means if you want to build modern new mod buildings, uh, you know it's it's not just there. Ready, it's not easily just got. But yeah. if you make these connections with other people that are digging already, which is the right way to go uh, environmentally, then yeah. that that's that can often you can often source earth at no cost at all if you're happy to pay for the the you know, moving it yes. transport. I uh, I lived in London for a, a good while, and uh, pretty much, you know, London mm. is on lots and lots of clay, and so any time there was yeah. there was you know digging excavations, you know, there's skip full of, of yeah. clay outside people's people's houses, or when they were doing the the railway works, just you know the the tons and tons yeah. and tons of of beautiful clay that they were getting rid of that was a, a waste mm. product for them it was an annoyance, and for us yeah, it was just yeah. this. Yeah, this joyous uh, material. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I wish I had more space. I would, you know, I would, I, I hoard clay soil, but actually, it all gets used in the end somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's all, it's all useful. So even though I'm sort of saying one clay is not strong, I mean that clay, that Buckinghamshire clay makes the most beautiful, you know, coloured renders. Mm. And for, yes, internally, it's, it's warm, great. It? No, it's yeah, it's a brilliant building material. But you just have to, yeah, mm. careful where you use different materials. Yeah, um, it's mm. interesting. You you sort of said uh, that you, know, well, it, it sort of links back to the the mud mason thing. Is that you? Know, mm-hmm. It's it's not an off the shelf uh, material by and large. So there needs to be that knowledge. You need to be a, a specific. Uh, you know, expert in in playing with mud and knowing sort of how to get the, the results from it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. 
But with with a little help, it's very easy to build an earth building. So whilst, yes, you need the expertise to begin with to say, right, okay, this is a good material and this is how to test it. But beyond that, I think you can learn very quickly. And so yeah. you can build with volunteers and with children. And, you know, with if you have a, a good guide mm-hmm. with you, um, it's possible for most people to have a go. Yeah, um, and, and it is yeah. so perfect for that, isn't it? Because it's hands-on. It's not you. Know, you don't need to wear gloves. You, can, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter if it flicks about the place a little bit. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's very easy for people to get uh, very enthusiastic about them. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've built two park shelters locally with volun- just with the local community, and. Uh, yeah, quite often, well, people from all walks of life, all ages, school children, grannies, anyone and everyone. And yeah, it's a great thing to do in a gang as well, mm-hmm. because as you know, it's, it's quite physically hard work. So if there's a, it's a big crowd of you, it's, it's going to be easier, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, very much so. It's sort of one of the, the hidden uh, yeah, benefits maybe that people don't, don't necessarily see, but the, the bringing together of people. What a, what a wonderful yeah. thing to do as as well as something mm-hmm. being built that you, know, you can build on your own there's conversations there's connections there's uh, you know, yeah you know a sort of increasingly isolated world we, we find ourselves in these, these projects yeah 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 um so uh you mentioned uh show gardens uh so you and i uh yeah. Both last year, about this time last year, I was just realising this time yeah. last year. I think we were, we were you know, uh, to to the grindstone, uh, slogging away building mm-hmm. show gardens with earth. And um, what was mm-hmm. what was your experience of that that like? <laughs> Do you know what? It was quite stressful. <laughs> <laughs> good, but, good. I'm glad you said that. Um, That's for me too. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I aged a bit, and I, I, to be fair, I didn't. You know, the, there was a, a small team of us and I didn't do all the grunt work at the beginning. I came in and sort of faffed about with the finish and did the carving uh-huh. and and the relatively easy stuff. But, um, it, yeah, so it was this really lovely garden designer called Tom Thomas Hoblin mm-hmm. and he created this beautiful um, sort of Middle Eastern a garden called the Dubai Majlis Garden. It was one of the okay. show gardens at Chelsea. And it was, so it wasn't really about earth building. It was more about uh, the natural landscape. And he wanted mm. to get the feeling of sand dunes and weathered rock. And and so we had a lot of fun making many samples and sort of grinding things and rubbing things and trying all sorts of ways to create texture and these natural you know the natural variation in mm-hmm. in sand and rock and uh yeah and then it rained a lot <laughs> which is <laughs> yes you know but i think were you working in the middle of all that rain as well we had, we uh, had lots of tops flapping in the wind yes yeah because yeah. <laughs> you only have like nine or ten days to do the entire thing you mm-hmm. know it's like it's a short a short time frame yeah um, so long days and, but yeah. Oh, and then there was a thing about, ours was very exposed with no roof. I can't remember the details of yours, but we had these yes, earth walls same. with no protection at all. Yeah. So there was that thing of, 
well, if we, you know, I knew that it would cope with light rain, fine. I wasn't worried about showers, but if it got heavy rain, mm-hmm. like thunderstorm rain, it would change a bit. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it would wash away, but it would change. And so uh, we looked at various organic coatings and additives and it's like a whole research project. But in the end, we did get a little bit of rain during the sh- No, did we? No, I think the actual show itself was dry, but everything survived. It all looked wonderful and it, it got a silver gilt, which was great. Nice. Congratulations. Would I do it again? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do it again, Jeffrey? <laughs> not, not in a hurry. I very much enjoyed uh, being able to present uh, mud to, to people on a much larger scale yeah. and outside of our little bubble of, of sort of heritage or eco building. Mm-hmm. Um, but what did you feel like the, the sort of response was? Did you, did you get to see, talk um, to people? And... I can remember doing an interview <laughs> with somebody on the radio and I got, I got a bit excited about how yeah I did talk about Earth and the benefits of Earth and and then, and then I went on a bit of a rant about cement and and I thought <laughs> oh not not sure I should have said that <laughs> well no obviously it's important to get the word out that yeah. you know we can replace cement in a lot of places and and we should but uh, I don't know if Chelsea's quite ready for my ranting about cement yet <laughs> <laughs> no it's great it's great wherever we can get Earth. It's great, whether it's shops or hotels or, you know, these, there's some beautiful work going on with um, modern plas- modern clay plasters in, in really high-status places. And, mm. you know, that's not exactly my world, but it's brilliant because it, it people see it. It's visible and they see it as an option and they see it as aspirational and hopefully that will make it, you know, spread. We could be so. in fashion again. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, there's a uh, there's an Apple store, isn't there? Uh, Dan. Uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. Dan, Dr. Dan did a, a presentation on on it, one of the okay. playlists. I don't remember that one, but the the person I know that works on the, a lot of these uh, jobs is Guy Valentine, who's an incredible plasterer and artist, and mm-hmm. he does a lot of work with clayworks plasters. And they're really doing a lot yeah. of groundbreaking stuff in these new buildings. So, yeah, but I think that the the garden yeah. shows is a similar kind of, you know, just to show people what, what you can do with, with clay and soil. And So I just mentioned there uh, Clayfest, which uh, to people not working in clay might sound like the, the biggest uh, geeky uh, <laughs> festival. Um, can you tell me, tell me a little bit about that? And- Clayfest, yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So I and another thing that I'm very involved with is a, organi- a national earth building organisation called eBucky, mm-hmm. if you're from Yorkshire. It's called eBuki, <laughs> if you're from the south. <laughs> eBuki. It has all these various ways <laughs> of being said. But anyway, what it stands for is Earth Building UK and Ireland. And okay. I've had a great experience working it's, it's largely voluntary but we also do projects and events and uh clayfest is is our big yearly shindig with earth and the first so we've been doing conferences for years now but in back in 2015 i think we decided to make a big sort of workshop event over a week 
So we do four or five days of practical workshops and then we have a conference on the Friday and then a kind of a building tour on the Saturday. And we move around different parts of, of the UK and Ireland. So we've we started that kind of event in Errol in Scotland. Then we were mm-hmm. in, oh, I can't remember the order, but, you know, we've been in Lincoln, we've been in Cumbria, we've been in Wexford, um, we were in Cat um, in Wales. And, yeah, so so it's it's a great sort of week-long fun event, um, a yeah. bit of a party. And we share skills. And as an earth builder that works a bit away from things, like I feel like I'm the only person sometimes that's doing what I do. So it, it gets me mm-hmm. together with colleagues and it feels like we're a bit of a tribe. Uh, yes. And yeah, it's, it's a great sort of network event. So hopefully we will have a, some version of it later this year. Cause of course we're all working in difficult situation just now, but um, uh-huh. yeah. But the one in Errol was, was particularly exciting because we did it in the local park and, and Errol is a really small town in between Dundee and Perth. Mm. And I was a bit nervous about all these sort of earth builders turning up and camping in the park. <laughs> I thought it's going to be, will they, will we get on? Will people be like, well, accept us, you know, but actually uh-huh. it was brilliant. They, they, the locals of Errol, you know, uh, welcomed us with open arms and we were in the pubs with them and they were coming down to hang out with us in the, where we were working. And, 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 and it was part of a big five-year project called the Tay Landscape Partnership. So we, we were in schools, mm. we were with local groups, archaeologists, all sorts of different strands, but the Clay Fest was sort of the culmination of, of all of that. And I think we had people from 18 countries came from to Errol. Which is, is is quite something, isn't it? And and yeah, yeah. made new friends and all. that's that's definitely one of the things I found. Uh, it's sort of a, a recharge, like a big big mm. boost uh, for the, the sort of natural builders around the country to, to come together yeah. and you know, hang out, be able to talk so geekily about mud uh, with people yeah. equally as enthusiastic, uh, go away with sort of knowledge and connections. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you've reminded me that in uh, in the Cumbria Clay Fest, mm-hmm. uh, I had a friend who I knew from from Canada who lived up there, and we mm-hmm. were sat outside the pub, and he said, "Why on earth are you having a a clay festival in this part of Cumbria? You know, it's it's a very strange reason." And uh, and I could point to most of the buildings in the in the street, and uh, and tell him that they were all made of clay. You know, he'd lived there his whole yeah. life, and and he didn't know. No, no idea. Yeah, well, the same with Errol. I mean, a lot of people in Errol had no idea either. And the whole of the high street is made of, of mud. Right. But you don't see it. It's behind renders and bricks and things. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it was it was wonderful because they these these local people had no idea what they had. But by the end of it, they were so sort of proud. And, it, it, you know, it really Brilliant. is the mud capital of Scotland, Errol. I think uh-huh. they should have a big sign at, on the way into the, to the village. <laughs> It's a good, a big cob sign. So uh, you mentioned uh, Ibuki, Ibuki. Uh, what are some of the other things Ibuki, that, yeah. that they're up to? What's <gasps> oh, yeah. So um, we have a website, 
You can go and look, lots of resources. Mm -hmm. You can join, which would be great if if people want to do that. And then you find out more details about what we do. But um, recently we've done some projects with European partners. Mm -hmm. Um, So to do with making training resources, training standards, um, the Coboge project I mentioned earlier wow. about thermal performance of Cob. That's another eBucky uh, project. We have one called <laughs> these interesting names. We have one called Jump. Okay, that's going on just now, which is about transformative training. Okay, for change. It's it's one of these things that's hard to explain, but basically, it's how can we do training better so that we really make things change in in certainly from an ecological point of view and from a people point of view um so we get together in various meetings sometimes online sometimes for real and we share our expertise and and experiment on each other with training methods Mm. and sometimes that's a bit crazy (laughs) but (laughs) usually fun um and and all of that stuff that happens in these projects, we we hopefully bring back to the UK and and roll out in various forms in local networks. And one of the things I'm trying to do from those projects is create SVQs in Earth okay. Building, which actually do exist on paper. Right. And we have an SVQ in Heritage Skills with Earth, but currently. Uh, nobody has that qualification. I'm going to try and be the first one. And uh, then beyond that, I'm hoping to create more um, foundation level courses in Earth in Scotland that mm. will be nationally certified. Okay. So lots of work going on in training, actually. That's, that's the thing I'm doing lots of. Um, yeah. And so other than, well, hopefully that's that's sort of on its way and coming soon. But other than that, how can people get into to uh, mud to cob and to plasters um well so so one way is to definitely look at these organizations like ebucky and another one is um nbuck and straw bale uk and so there's quite a lot of national organizations that you can connect with and become members of and then hopefully you'll find their resources on site another great place actually i should mention is a Facebook page called Talking Natural Homes. That's mm. something I've, I'm sure you're involved there sometimes too. It's a brilliant yes. forum for all things natural in building. Yeah. So I would hook into that because all of these places will highlight what workshops and courses are going on in your local area. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not so much right now, but you know, in the future. <laughs> yes. Uh, hopefully soon yeah hopefully <laughs> crossing <laughs> fingers um and then i'm i'm hooked into lots of, so another bit of my work and so my company rebirth also works in um training for, for sort of hard to reach groups which okay. is a is a big all different sorts of people that ha- for various reasons don't access training and, and skill sharing and so for instance I just did a thing with lots of school girls uh-huh. in a high school where I went in with buckets of clay and we made stuff and we did plastering and that was a bit mad but we, we did about 70 girls in a day had a wow. had a go yeah and yeah I know <laughs> it was crazy but really brilliant fun and some of them just loved it um so it's you know, so there's this thing about getting more women in construction. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing 
with uh, gender in Earth is, I think we probably are 50% women or something like that. Seems about that. And certainly on the, in eBucky, there's sometimes there's quite often more women than men. And I'm not, you know, so just getting more women in construction is yeah. is a great thing. And, and we've always had teams with, with lots of women in them and it just feels really healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another part of my work. And then I work with a, a project called Simple Shelters here in Fife and they're doing brilliant work with young people with all sorts of challenges and trying to get them into it's not necessarily always to make earth builders or that that's a great thing if it uh-huh. happens but it's quite often it's about people feeling more confident um you know empowering people mm-hmm. and giving them something else to to boost them and maybe coming out with a certificate that they can take to a job interview or um, so a lot of people skills is, yeah. is the sort of thing that I do as well as the earth skills. Those things go along together. Yeah. And and I'm all for getting more people skills into everything, any kind of training. Mm-hmm. You know, because we talk about hard skills and soft skills, but actually the soft skills are probably the most essential of all. Because yeah. without the soft skills, you can't do very much at all, can you? <laughs> yes, very true. You know? <laughs> this whole ecological crisis, it's like, we have to sort out our relationships before anything else. Yeah. We can get excited about mud and timber and all sorts, but if we're not getting on together, working well together, we're a bit stuffed. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Massive thanks again to Becky Little for taking the time out to talk with me. Uh, it was a bit of a tricky conversation. Uh, I think both of our internets uh, were flaky at best, so it dropped in and out a few times, and uh, it was a reasonably uh, difficult job to to edit the podcast uh, so that our speech uh, stayed kind of in line. Um, and so if you did notice, it's all wandering out. Apologies for that. Um, what to tell you? Uh, there's a whole list of links that I'll put put up uh, on the show notes to SPAB, SPAB. They're the Society for Protection of Ancient Buildings. Uh, Historic Scotland. Kevin McCabe, who some of you might recognise as uh, one of the people that was on Grand Designs. He built, uh, I think... I'm right in describing it as a Cobb Castle. Lots of other stuff. Oh, the Cobbage 
put a link to their great work. Um, Yanto Evans, who gets a mention, I've put a link to his Cobb Cottage Company, which um, that was actually one of the places that uh, I only really visited there a couple of times. It was an event that I think changed changed the path I was on quite significantly. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I recommend you go and check out the pictures. Um, of course, I've put a link into the the show garden that, that Becky talks about, uh, Thomas Hoblin. Uh, I've also chucked uh, one into our show garden. Um, ours wasn't anything like the scale that, that Becky uh, worked on. Uh, but nonetheless, it was crikey, exhausting. Thank you to you for listening. Uh, do please subscribe and do drop us a message to let us know what you've enjoyed and what you haven't. I've been getting lots of messages recently and it's really, really great to hear from people. And yeah, lots of uh, new reviews going on uh, the iTunes store, which is, is really great. Um, thank you for all of those. This is my last week before I head back to work. So I'll try and get one more episode out quickly before before that happens. And then I suspect I'll be slowing down a little bit again. Oh, the the big news... <laughs> Big news this week, uh, I received an email to let me know that Building Sustainability Podcast made it to number 91 on the education charts uh, in the UK. So, small, small, small claim to fame. <laughs> so, thank you all for being part of that. That's it from me. Um, I hope you're all doing really well. Until next time. Take care.